This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. The city of Portland, Oregon, taking a unique path to try and handle the issue of pay inequality between workers and their CEOs. It is going to levy a tax on companies when the executive pay is more than 100 times greater than the median pay of its employees. The tax would be on top of normal taxes that businesses pay. We are joined on the phone by Steve Novick, who is the commissioner behind the move. He joins us from Portland, Oregon, and also joining us here in the studio, Wharton Assistant Professor of Management Adam Cobb and Wharton Accounting Professor Wayne Gay. Steve, great to have you joining us on the show today. Thanks for having me. And I can't think of a better lead-in to a discussion of extreme economic inequality than a discussion of a $55 million car. <laughs> Thank you very much, Steve. Uh, Adam, great to see you again. Thank oh, you. Great to be here. Wayne, great to have you in the studio. Good to be here. Thank you. Steve, give us the backstory on how this all kind of played out, because the fact that there is going to be, I guess to a degree, a penalty for these executives is catching a lot of uh, interest around the globe right now. It seems to be, which is delightful from our perspective. We hope that this idea spreads around the globe. I recently read about this idea a couple of years ago in an article by Harold Meyerson and either the Washington Post, the American Prospect, and it was talking about a similar proposal in the California State Senate that was being advanced by a state senator, now a congressman, named Mark DeSaulnier, and it was apparently suggested to him by a California philanthropist named Steve Silverstein. And the idea is that since we have damaging extreme economic inequality in the United States, and CEO pay is a major part of that, and because the FTC is now going to have this rule where people have to report the ratios of CEO pay to typical worker pay, then why not establish a tax surcharge on companies where there's an extreme ratio in order to prod corporate America back to a more equitable pay scale? So so, I, so this idea was floated in the California Senate. I think it actually passed, but not by the required supermajority for tax increases. Uh-huh. And I decided it needs to start somewhere, so I was able to get it passed through the Portland City Council. What was the, the reaction you were getting prior to the vote that you had, which I, as I read in the paper, passed on a 3-1, on a 3-1 vote within the, uh, within the council? Well, we got um, an excited reaction from folks in the labor and social justice communities. Uh, the Portland Business Alliance, which is our local chamber of commerce, uh, was opposed. We got some calls from individual businesses. Um, did not actually get as much of an outcry from the business community as a whole as I expected. Um, but folks committed to social justice and fighting economic inequality were very excited about it. What are the what are the big big companies that would be in the Portland market that could be potentially affected by this? Well, um, according to our Office of Revenue, there's about 500 publicly traded companies, and this only applies to publicly traded companies because those are the only ones for which we'll have the information for the SEC about the ratios. There's about 500 publicly traded companies that do enough business in Portland that they are subject to our business profits tax. So that's, that includes, you know, Walmart, um, General Electric, Goldman Sachs, all of which do enough business here that they're subject to our tax. So what our revenue department will do is when the SEC disclosures come out, 
They will compare the pay ratios. They'll be able to look at the pay ratios and look at the companies that are subject to our tax and apply the surcharge accordingly. So this is not just local companies to that are in the Portland area. This is These are obviously national and international companies that do business within Portland. Exactly. Steve Novick joins us, uh, commissioner in uh, in the city of Portland, uh, Oregon. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Uh, Adam Wayne, uh, you hear this story and your reaction, Wayne, I'll start with you. Your reaction was what? Well, I guess, uh, so, so you know, certainly income inequality is a big issue. I mean, it certainly gets talked about a lot and it's a, of a serious concern. Uh, I guess my question was why... CEOs uh, were singled out in particular. I mean, presumably the objective would be to to tax wealthy people and then use those proceeds to train or educate, you know, the workforce so that they can have better skills and earn higher wages. Um, so my thought would have been that the Portland tax would have, say, taxed wealthy people in Portland and then taken those proceeds and and use those in Portland uh, in the local area to help the workforce. Uh, but by focusing on on the CEOs outside of Portland, in particular focusing on this CEO to worker pay ratio, one of the concerns there is that there's really no economic reason why the pay of the CEO would be correlated with the median pay of the workforce. Mm. So there are economic forces that dictate how much you need to pay your CEO. So larger firms pay more, firms that are more complex and uh, are riskier tend to pay their CEOs more for because they need certain skills. Whereas the lower level workers or the median workers, their pay is dictated by supply and demand for the right. types of workers you need and uh, the skill set and education of the lower level workers. And so there's no reason necessarily for those two things to be related. So the problem with this pay ratio is that it doesn't really tell you anything about whether the CEO is overpaid mm-hmm. or whether the workforce is underpaid. So um, so that, that, I guess, is a bit of a concern for me. Okay. Well, I would say that yep. there's strong evidence that CEOs are overpaid. Research has shown that companies who pay their CEOs vastly more than the typical worker do not perform better economically than companies that don't. Um, that's not really market-driven compensation, um, that it's based on boards of directors looking at what they think are comparable companies and not wanting to think that their CEO is below average. Um, Lucy and Bebchuk at Harvard has done extensive research on the lack of connection between CEO pay and economic performance. And the reason we're going after CEO pay is that extreme CEO pay has been a major driver in the development of extreme economic inequality. In the 1960s, the typical CEO at a big company made 20 times what a typical worker makes. Now, based on extensive anecdotal evidence, we know that it's hundreds of times. And we know also that the richest 1%, and especially the richest one-tenth of 1%, have vastly more wealth and income and power than they did 40 years ago. And I used to think of CEO pay as just being one dramatic example of that fact. Thomas Piketty, who you know, the French economist who wrote Capital in the 21st Century, says that his estimate is that in the Anglo-Saxon countries, 60 to 70 percent of the members of the top one-tenth of one percent are top executives at large firms. So if we could reduce CEO pay to something closer to what it was in the 1960s, when, of course, the American economy was the envy of the world, then we could do a lot to address extreme economic inequality. Adam, what was your reaction and questions that may have popped up for you? Yeah, so um, 
I, I, and I'm definitely sympathetic to the, to the arguments that are being made. Uh, I mean, one of the things that struck me, uh, slightly different concern than Wayne's, uh, by linking this to sort of a median salary, um, is it creates a potential disincentive for large firms to do things like outsource uh, or lay off lower wage workers, you know, send those jobs. Um, so that would actually boost the medium wage, but actually wind up being worse off for low wage workers um, in, in the aggregate. And mm-hmm. so I think that the concerns about sort of skyrocketing CEO pay are, are very well taken. Uh, but I do wonder sometimes if we're going to, if if we fixate too much on this ratio, rather than actually thinking about these things in more of an absolute sense, like maybe there's mm-hmm. just an absolute level of CEO pay that's just too high. But if we're always just earmarking it to a ratio, well, there's things that I can do as a CEO to affect the, the you know, one part of that. I can affect the, the denominator and not affect sure. the numerator of the ratio. And it actually winds up being worse off for workers and doesn't get more structurally at the problems that I think that, that, the, uh, that the, the sentiment of the tax itself is supposed to sort of try to be this equalizing force. Sure. But if it winds up making low wage workers worse off than that then then that goal is no longer being accomplished that would be my sort of my one big concern with with the approach that's being taken but but i but i agree with the efforts that are that this is something to to try to to curb steve you want to address that well i think that we've seen outsourcing and automation affecting low wage jobs in the united states for the, the past 40 years and I don't think that this measure is going to speed that process. And I would also say, what are the what else should we do to combat extreme economic inequality other than simply raise the top marginal income tax rate, which seems off the table for for the moment? Uh, I mean, I I don't have the power to put an absolute cap on the amount the CEOs make, although 62 percent of Americans think that that's a good idea. Um, this is one way to encourage more equitable pay scales, and I simply do not believe that the rush to outsourcing and automation is going to be significantly affected by this. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess one of the, another concern that I do have is is the the focus here on the the CEO pay part of this. And, I mean, I think... You know, it's it's certainly the case that, that CEOs get paid a lot of money, but the CEOs of publicly traded firms, which is really all we're talking about here, make up about one-tenth of one percent um, of the GDP in terms of their income. And so there, there are a few thousand CEOs uh, that would be out there with a, a CEO to median worker pay ratio above 100, but there are hundreds of thousands of people that make that same level of income. So... You know, I think the focus on the CEO pay is, is is a bit of a concern. I would rather see the focus be on the median pay of the workers rather than on trying mm-hmm. to rein in CEO pay, which legis- legislative attempts have tried to do for decades and, and have been unsuccessful. I'd rather see the focus be on how to train workers to be better skilled, better education, and increase wages for those folks. Well, um, back in the 1960s, um, we had an economy that was growing for everybody, and CEOs made just 20 times the typical worker made. Yeah. And uh, the, the reason for that was a combination of sort of culture and economic power. Unions were able to negotiate a better deal for workers because unions were stronger. But I also think that it was just considered socially unacceptable for CEOs to be making hundreds of times of typical worker made. 
Just like now in Japan or Western Europe, it's not socially acceptable for CEOs to make the same amounts um, that, that, that they do here. So the idea of this is that you encourage companies to reduce their CEOs' pay and raise their typical workers' pay. And as to there being very few CEOs uh, making fabulous amounts of money, again, Thomas Piketty says that 60% to 70% of the members of the richest one-tenth of 1% have been top executives at large firms. And as you know, the richest one-tenth of 1% has gone from having about 2% of national income in the 70s to 7 to 8% now. Um, the emergence of an overclass of the richest one-tenth of 1% is a pretty significant phenomenon. The, the money that would be collected from this, uh, from this surcharge would end up going to what, Steve? Well, to, it goes into our general fund, which pays for police, fire, parks, and housing. Uh, and one thing I had in mind particularly is that the city recently made a commitment to increase the amount it's spending on homeless services by $3.5 million over what we're spending this year. So we think that this measure would raise somewhere between two and a half and three and a half half million dollars that would help us meet that commitment. Steve Novick joins us, uh, Commissioner in the City of Portland, Oregon. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. I'd be interested to get your opinion uh, just on, Steve, the the problem of inequality there in Portland, Oregon right now. And I, I say that because... One of the areas I follow follow is the housing market, and Portland, Oregon has been one of the markets uh, in the Case-Shiller Index, especially the last few years, where uh, Portland, Oregon has seen the the continued greatest rise in home prices. Uh, it's you know normally in the top three every time that index is brought out. It is the concern of inequality? an even greater one there in Portland because of some of the costs that are also being seen, the seen like home prices? Uh, absolutely. I mean, what we've seen is Portland has become an extremely hot market, a very attractive place to come, I think, partly because of the New York Times travel section, which has been obsessed with us for the past 10 years. <laughs> um, and, and when people move to Portland in a country where there's great inequality, there's a fair number of wealthier people that are moving here and driving prices up beyond the range that people who are already here could afford. Now, um, I think that part of the answer to that problem is for us to loosen the zoning rules a bit to allow more housing to be built, and have been part of that effort, too. Uh, but if there was less economic inequality nationally, then the effect of Portland being a hot market would be quite as extreme. By the way, there's something else I want to mention that yep. David Lenhart in the New York Times just the other day reported on a new study of uh, generational economic progress that said that people born in 1940, 92% of them uh, made more than their parents. People born in 1980, only half of them are making more than their parents did. Uh, but when they ran a simulation of what the economy would have looked like if we hadn't seen an increase in inequality over the past 40 years, then 80 percent of people born in 1980 would have made more than their parents. So that's another indicator of how significant for the broader economy the explosion of inequality has been. What's been the reaction from companies like Walmart and, and Target uh, to this news? I have not heard anything from Walmart or Target. Okay. And I actually wonder if the reason we've had sort of a muted response is that it's hard to defend these extreme pay ratios. I mean, um, Brian Cornell at Target makes $28 million a year. The typical Target employee, I'm sure, makes far less than one one-hundredth of that. 
And Doug McMillan at Walmart makes $19 million a year. We know what the typical Walmart employee makes. I think that it's hard for these companies to stand up and say, no, we think it's absolutely appropriate for our CEO to make hundreds of times or thousands of times what our typical worker makes. Yeah, so so I mean, I, I certainly you know take the point that you know about the the uh, the stagnation of of the average worker's wages, and so that's why I think you know the, the focal point should be there. I think I, I, I again worry that somehow we believe that if if CEO pay goes down by ten percent or twenty percent, that that will raise the the wages for lower level workers, and it's. It's certainly far from clear to me that it would. I think possibly the reason why some of these large companies haven't responded is, if I understand the mechanics of the tax, you, you would expect to raise about $2.5 million per year spread across five or 600 companies. So we're talking about a, a few thousand dollars for right. each of these companies. So you know that's not going to cause Walmart or Target to, to change their CEO pay. Now, of course, they might be concerned that if every city in the country passes a sim- similar tax, that that could start to add up. Right. Uh, but again, these efforts to, to rein in CEO pay, uh, we've been trying to do that. Or, or The legislators, Congress, the SEC, has been, been thinking about those issues for 30 years uh, without success. And, and based on you know the research that I'm a- aware of, in large part, that's because there are uh, very strong economic forces that uh, determine CEO pay in most cases. Adam? Well, oh. I mean, there was one effort that I'm aware of to rein in CEO pay, which is 1993. Bill Clinton proposed limiting the tax deduction companies get to CEO pay for a million dollars. And then Lloyd Benson and Robert Rubin convinced him to exempt, quote, performance-based pay. So you've seen this explosion of stock options. Uh, I'm not aware of any effort similar to this to rein in CEO pay. And we've had... Um, an encouraging reaction from several leading economists like Branko Milanovich, um, former World Bank economist now at NYU, Thomas Piketty himself, Emmanuel Sayers in California, um, a leading expert in inequality. And all of them have said that they think this is a pretty interesting idea. Adam? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it is a really interesting idea. I mean, uh, to me, and, and I. Th- I maybe sit someplace in between uh, b- between the two of you here. I'm not. I, I agree that the that if we want worker workers to make more money, then the focus needs to be on workers making more money. Right. You, you do something to curb CEO pay. <clears throat> my assumption would be that that would just be money that wound up in the hands of shareholders rather than the sh- the hands of sort of a you know a, a frontline worker. Um, but the idea that if we start making if we if if as a country we start tying sort of some kind of tax penalty to firms based on this ratio, the idea that that won't hasten um, um, sort of the out, outsourcing offshoring of, of work, I think is um, it, it, yes, it is a trend that's been going on, but to think it won't get worse, I, I would have a hard time believing that. And there's actually quite a few progressive economists who are in favor of taking steps of curbing uh, CEO compensation and excess pay at the high end that don't think linking it to a pay ratio of workers is, mm-hmm. is necessarily a good idea for this disincentive that I'm talking about. So, I mean, if we're thinking about this, why don't we link it to firm revenues? Why don't we link it to something that firms don't have an incentive to to manipulate, right? You could you could think of manip, of linking it to different met firm metrics that firms don't then just have an incentive to like, oh, let's just cut this or let's just make things worse for like, you know. So so I think there's other ways of thinking about it 
at the same time, I'm sensitive to the idea and I'm glad that someone's trying to do something. Yeah. It's good to have these experiments out there to see what actually happens. Are there are there companies local there in Portland, Steve, that would be affected by this? Um, well, I don't know what their ratios are. I suspect that Columbia Sportswear, which isn't headquartered in Portland, um, but just outside of Portland, um, I suspect that they might be affected. Right. Um, I took a look at PGE, which is our local electric utility. I suspect they won't be affected because their CEO makes a measly $3 million a year, and they pay their workers pretty well, so I imagine they won't be. Um, Nike, um, I would imagine there's a possibility they might be affected, but we don't know the ratios now um, for sure, so I can't be certain. And when will you get the, the the latest report for the SEC will come out when, where you'll be able to determine who who would be on this list? The SEC requirement becomes effective next year. So in the course of next year, we'll be seeing this information revealed. So when companies file their 2017 taxes in 2018, that's when the surcharge will be applied. Is there a concern... Uh, potentially, I, I would guess, and and uh, you know, cities are always looking for new companies to to move into their territory. Uh, is there a concern of having this uh, on the books and potentially seeing maybe a slowdown in, in business development uh, going forward? Companies potentially wanting to come into this area that may be affected by this. Well, again, it's a tax on business profits, so. Yeah. If you think you're going to make profits here, the fact that you're going to get slightly less profit, I don't think is going to lead companies to not exist here at all. And this will take effect when? The beginning of 2017? In effect, yes. I mean, we let's see, we pass it in December 7th, so technically it becomes effective on January 7th. But basically, it's you know it'll be effective for the 2017 tax year because it's in 2017 that the SEC ratios will, will be published. Steve Novick joins us uh, from Portland, Oregon, uh, one of the city commissioners. Also here in the studio, Adam Cobb uh, and also Wayne Gay, uh, accounting professor and assistant professor of management, joining us here in the studio as well. Uh, th- it is an interesting philosophy to kind of uh, take this forward. Uh, and, and obviously, I guess to a degree, the fact that this is going into the general fund and, and it will help a variety of different entities within the city of Portland uh, it, it does end up being a benefit to the city to to a degree, correct? Absolutely. Well, yeah, and it would certainly depend on whether, as you pointed out, whether there there's it discourages business from from coming into Portland for whatever reason. But but yeah, I think it was an interesting choice to mainly set the tax on organizations that are outside of Portland, yeah. as opposed to focusing focusing on income inequality within Portland. I'm sure there are many wealthy people in Portland as well as some low low wage earners as well. And so, you know, one way to have uh, of sort of more directly address this perhaps would have been to, to focus on the, the Portland city itself. Adam? Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm curious to see what happens. I think it'll be interesting. I'm curious to see if other cities will do similar things and, and what effect it may have. And if it has the desired effect mm-hmm. that Steve hopes, great. You know, and and I'm all and I'm all for that. But I do share some of Wayne's maybe concern, and I've uh, you know articulated my own concerns about what what incentives and what what it's actually going to encourage firms to do or not do. Uh, but 
I think just the fact that they're taking an initiative to try to curb this is is important, and I'm glad that they're trying to do something, and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. Steve, what what are your expectations as as this starts to get going uh, at the beginning of 2017? Obviously, the the funds are are, are one thing, but what are your expectations for this long term? Well, my expectation and my hope is that other jurisdictions will start adopting it. I'm under no illusion that the Fortune 500 is going to change its practices with what Portland, Oregon alone does. But the fact that the New York Times reported on this, that uh, you're highlighting your show, which you very much appreciate, that the Wall Street Journal attacked it, um, that The Guardian mentioned it, means that it is getting a national and international audience. And what I'm hoping will happen is that numerous other jurisdictions will start picking it up. Uh, that's what matters. I mean, it will be nice for us to have a couple million dollars for our general fund. It's nice to be the first to take this action against extreme inequality. But the important thing is that other jurisdictions follow it, follow us so that it will, will really have an impact. Steve, greatly appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Steve Novick, uh, Commissioner uh, from uh, Portland, Oregon, uh, joining us on the show. Uh, just uh, final thoughts. Uh, I, I know we, we both have uh, uh, you know beliefs as to how this will all play out, but Wayne, just in general, you, you're obviously a little bit more concerned than, than Adam about how this will actually play out and, and what we will see with this going forward. Yeah, so, I mean, I've been following the debate on CEO pay now for 25 years. I've worked extensively in that area. I know, I know the research Steve's talking about, but that's only one side of, of the research. There's a, a lot of other research that would make uh, contradictory arguments to what Steve was, was pointing out. And I'm a little concerned with a, a particular city taking on these types of issues. I mean, they've been debated globally um, and, you know, with, with uh, you know, strengths and weaknesses and, and arguments on both sides. And, I mean, I would rather see this addressed at a sort of a, a, a across-the-board debate as opposed to uh, individual cities coming in and saying that, you know, for, for whatever reason they feel like they know which CEOs are overpaid and which CEOs aren't overpaid. And, and I think that this pay ratio, from all the evidence I've seen, it's, it's, it's hard to see why it's going to tell us anything about which particular CEOs are overpaid. The, the only trick I see from, from this is the fact that to be able to take this to a level above the city level or the state level, I just don't see it being able to happen only because of, of what we know to be the structure of, of the federal government in Washington, D.C. to begin with and the influence that a lot of these CEOs have you know, to begin with. Any kind of a movement to try and bring that forward would be blown up probably in about five minutes. Yeah, and, and let me just emphasize, I mean, Steve pointed out that back in the early 90s, there was an effort by the Clinton administration to set a tax on cash pay over a certain amount, but that's not the only effort that, that, that uh, has been taken to try to rein in CEO pay. There have been a, a huge amount of additional disclosures that have been pr provided that have attempted to shine a brighter light on CEO yeah. pay. There have been tremendous changes in governance in terms of board structure, making sure the compensation committee of these corporations are yeah. <laughs> made up of independent directors. And so, you know, you could, there's some papers that have been written on just all of these different things that have been done to try to rein in CEO pay, and it doesn't happen. And one uh, sort of reason for that may be that uh, it's the, the system's not as broken as, as some people may think. Adam? Yeah, and there's been a lot of shareholder activism around it more recently as right. well. And 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 what Wayne knows way more about CEO compensation than than than, than I do. Um, 
I do think it, that trying to take proactive steps to curbing income inequality and wage inequality is important. Um, my my feeling on this is we need to take more proactive steps to doing things to help people at the bottom and the middle. Yeah, uh, I agree. And if that means somebody who needs to get taxed more at the top to help that, I'm all for it. Uh, I worry a lot about the ratio in part because it is somewhat arbitrary and right. it is a number that's manipulable. And I think it would, if the, and I'm, look, Portland, it's it's not going to move the needle on what CEOs do and, 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 and Steve admitted that. But if this was sort of a nationwide conversation, and we started to make an arbitrary like a hundred times, then you get this tax. Sure, I do think you're not going to see CEO compensation come down as much as you're going to see firms take steps to boost their medium pay. But it's not going to be by paying people more. It's going to be by automating jobs, by outsourcing, by offshoring, by doing right. things that actually wind up being counterproductive. And so I think that we can have all these conversations and we should have these conversations, but I think the policies need to be really well thought out right. to try to create as few disincentives and, and, and problems as possible. Well, we have enough people right now that are that are struggling to make ends meet. I mean, obviously, there's the the fight for fifteen dollars an hour as the minimum wage. Uh, you know, once we once until we get people off of making, you know, trying to live off of nine dollars an hour. You know, and which is insane to think of right off the bat. Once we get past that, then maybe we can start to really have a, a you know a, a different type of conversation, correct? Yeah, I, I think that's right, and I, I certainly I, I, uh, appreciate what Adam was saying about the fact that that computing, I mean, computing how much your CEO gets paid is fairly straightforward, but right. uh, figuring out how much the median worker gets paid is actually pretty complicated, and that's where a lot of companies have been pushing back with respect to this new new regulation. But I fully agree that. I think the focal point should be on you know raising the lower level as opposed to yep. trying to beat down uh, the upper level without really thinking carefully about you know why it is that that firms do pay people in certain ways and w why certain people make certain amounts of income. Quickly, let's go to the phones. Kevin in Atlanta with a comment. Kevin, go ahead. Thanks. Uh, I I agree that the pay differential is disturbing, but can you discuss the contribution of the poor educational infrastructure and skill set? and how that contributes to the workers not really being able to get a, a, a better salary? <laughs> Go ahead, Wayne. <laughs> well, so, so um, you know, I, I will admit I'm, I'm, my work tends to focus more on, on executive pay and corporate governance, so I know a bit, bit less about the education issues in, in terms of the workforce, but, but it's certainly the case, and we, we saw a lot of this debate over the last several months uh, in the, the political debates, uh, talking about different ways that we can, um, you know, m make sure that that we do have jobs in this country, that that people are educated and have the skills they need to compete uh, globally. And I think, uh, you know, certainly as a as a member of a university, I'm I'm certainly all in favor of of supporting uh, both primary, secondary education as as well as the universities. Adam, yeah, and I mean the, these kind of things, as you might imagine, they they have a lot of causes. There's a sort of multi-causal phenomenon of why we have sort of rising wage inequality and why why wages are flat, and and education does play a role. But there are other features too. I mean, you you can see the returns to a college education have really flattened out. So even people sure. that are getting you know, have a higher education. The premium wage that someone used to get for that is 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 
sort of has flattened over time too. So is education part of the answer? Of course. Is it the sole cause? It, it's a, it becomes a little bit more complicated than that. But it is a very important it is a very important part of the Kevin, puzzle. thank you very much for your call. Greatly appreciate your time. Thank you. Uh, gentlemen, great to have you in the studio. Great discussion. Thank you very much. Thank great, you for having great us. To have you yeah, both. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, and again, many thanks to Steve Novick uh, from uh, the city of Portland, Oregon, the commissioner out there uh, talking about their, uh, their move uh, on this tax. And uh, also Adam Cobb, assistant professor of management here at the Wharton School. Wayne Gay, uh, Wharton accounting professor, joining us as well. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.